Good afternoon, church. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Elliot, for those of you who don't know me. Um, I'm, I'm part of the church here, and I've had the privilege of helping us as a church enjoy Christmas. Uh, for us to try and relive that first Christmas and experience the joy of what Christians have celebrated for 2,000 years, that light has shone up on the darkest night, that God is with us, Emmanuel, and that somehow, somehow, the birth of that baby might just be the greatest moment in history. So what? <laughs> so what? Like, what difference can all of this make for me? Or to put it another way, why are we celebrating? Why are we celebrating? In so many ways, this isn't a usual Christmas. And if it's not the cost of living stuff or the kind of just how depressing watching the news is, it's the questions. The questions that years full of difficult things provoke in us. Do we live in a just society? Why is kindness so hard for us? Do our leaders actually care about us? Will we always be this fragile? Like as a species, as a species, are we winning? Like are we actually doing well? I just don't know. And so this is not the usual Christmas message because this is not the usual Christmas. And so the story I'm inviting you in to enjoy this afternoon, the Bible passage that was read to us earlier, well, it happened 30 years after the first Christmas. On a random back road outside of ancient Jerusalem. And so this isn't the story of how Jesus was born. It's actually closer to the story of why Jesus was born. And you might say to me, um, Christmas is better when we leave religion out of it. You may even say to me, what kind of God would allow a year like the one I've had? With all that is going on in our world right now, what good is Jesus? Well, let's meet him in this story and see if we might find something worth celebrating. A light that actually makes a difference. And I think we'll come to see three things. I think we'll come to see that we're celebrating because he was born, born to overcome our darkness, born to give his life, and born for our freedom. And so let's begin with, he was born to overcome our darkness. And I'll just quickly reread a couple of the sentences from earlier. So I'll reread um, verses 35 to 41. 
They'll be up on the screen if you don't have it in front of you. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Now, I don't know what's more shocking. Uh, James and John, they, that kind of blatant power grab, um, that it's, so, it's just so blatant that Jesus has to ask them, can you go through what I'm about to go through? And they're like, yeah, sure, whatever, <laughs> we'll do it. And just to be clear here, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's talking about crucifixion and torture. And James and John are on about who gets to give the acceptance speech. They're obsessed with themselves. And I don't know if that's the most shocking thing or the fact that I kind of recognize that kind of self-obsession in myself. It's subtle, but it's there, kind of a deep instinct within me that means that when I look out into the world, I can't help but think, how is this going to work out for me? And it's subtle, isn't it? And I actually wonder if that's why the other disciples were so angry. They became indignant. Maybe they thought James and John jumped the gun. Maybe they were right to be furious or jealous. I don't really know. But regardless, Jesus had to pull all of them to one side. Because whether in the greed of James and John or the fury of the ten, the darkness of self-obsession is always with us, pulling us apart. And don't we live in unusually dark days, countries invading countries, leaders clinging to power, the needy and the vulnerable demonized. We need light in this world. And so what would it be like? What would it be like if those in power used it to bring light and eradicate the darkness? What would happen to global crisis or injustice if we cared more about one another than ourselves? Or think about your life. What would your life be like if everyone you knew, everyone you knew, suddenly became obsessive about your happiness? Like it was their only priority in life. Maybe that's a little bit overwhelming. It's a bit too much. And so maybe not everyone. What about just one person? What would it be like having your own personal Marcus Rashford 
And instead of like helping hungry school children and helping England to succeed in the World Cup, he gives his life to help you, to help you succeed. Even just for a day, just for a day. Imagine one person who was relentlessly devoted to giving the whole of themselves to serve you. And did it perfectly. Someone with the strength of character to deny their own self-obsession. What would that day be like to have a friend like that? I'm convinced that actually we want to be that kind of friend. Or at least we want to love well. We want to create beautiful moments of care and to see the faces of our loved ones light up. Like if you really think about it, even as a culture, we never really celebrate self-obsessed people. Goodness gives itself away and brings light to others. Because that's what love is like. Love doesn't always stand off to the side, always protecting itself and its stuff. Love gets involved. Love isn't self-obsessed. Love even makes sacrifices, even if they're painful. Now, a clear example of this was seen in this year's John Lewis advert. Let's uh, let's have a watch. Yeah, we can't wait. We're going to peace. We're really excited. Merry Christmas. All the small things. Who cares? The truth brings. You're okay. I'll take yeah, one I'm fine. Your ride, best trip. Always, I know you'll be at my show, watching, waiting. How did it go? Commiserating, yep. say it ain't so. mocked maybe he's even misunderstood but when he opens that door and the connection is made and her little nervous face lights up suddenly his injuries and broken bones are worth it and isn't that great Christmas storytelling but who can live like that 12 months a year. 
Do you? I know I don't. That might be us at our best moments, but I don't know if it's our day to day. It's definitely not us at our worst. You see, here's the thing. The human race was struggling in the darkness long before the events of the last few years have made it obvious. James and John were the living demonstration of our greatest problem. And that is that we are turned in on ourselves. We struggle to live lives of light. I mean, we don't even meet our own standards of love and light with the, the little influence that we do have. And so if God is out there, or if God was to come to us, Emmanuel, what would he do with a world of self-obsessed people like James, John, you and I? You see, we are celebrating Christmas because in the darkness, God joined us, but he did not join in with the Jameses and the Johns. He was born to overcome our darkness. And he was born to give his life as a ransom. And so let's hear that again. Let's hear what was said. This is verse 45. These are Jesus' words. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, the Son of Man was like a a nickname that Jesus established for himself that he'd pulled from the ancient Hebrew prophecy written down in Daniel. And essentially, his use of the name was meant to hint towards something that Christians now recognize as the incarnation, God with us. That is to say that God the Son has always existed with God the Father and God the Spirit. The Trinity. One substance, three persons, a mystery. And the incarnation means that the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, loved by the Father, filled by the Spirit, plunged down into the darkness of a self-obsessed world. He took on flesh. So that when we see Jesus, when we see what he's like, we are seeing what God is like. You see, if God wanted to make you feel small, if he was like James and John, he he wouldn't have come as a baby. Or if God was like us and wanted to kind of assert himself, maybe throw his weight around a little bit, he probably would have just done that. But nobody feels threatened by a newborn. He didn't come to take. Now, I want you to imagine for a second 
that you've organised a huge Christmas Eve party and everyone is coming. But the day before the party, you receive a letter from your utility company. Your supplier says that they're shutting off your gas and electric because there's been some kind of banking error and you've not been paying your bill and you've racked up a significant debt, a unpayable debt. You're stuck. And suddenly darkness. The lights go out and you have been disconnected and you've got no way of heating your home and you're plunged into silence and darkness. You kind of run out of the house and you quickly speak to the neighbours and say, is the same thing happening to you? But it's just you. Stuck in the darkness with this unpayable debt. And as night creeps in, you'd be desperate, wouldn't you? And, and just to reassure you as a side note, um, this wouldn't actually happen. Uh, there's a whole legal process in place that means suppliers can't actually disconnect your, uh, your supply. But that's not actually my point. <laughs> it's a disclaimer. My point is, how would it feel? How would you feel trying to fall asleep, wrapped up in every blanket you have in the pitch darkness? That unpayable debt looming over you. And now imagine you had a neighbor who loved you. And maybe you do, I don't know. But imagine your neighbor loved you enough to say, I hate to see you like this. In the cold, in the dark. Okay, I don't really have the money, but I'll cover your debt. I know you've got your big party. I'll do whatever it takes. I tell you what, I'll get them to credit your account with my payments. I'll cover your debt. Okay, I think you'd be confused. You'd say to them, but what about you? You're going to be in the dark and in the cold. And what if you had a neighbour who loved you enough to say, I'll take your place. You go home, you get ready for the party, you enjoy your Christmas. I'll cover your debt. I'll take your darkness for you. I'll face the coldness of night for you. I'll cover your debt. Imagine how you'd feel. You'd kind of, I think, you'd wander home a little bit dazed, not really sure of what's just happened. But you'd know that they are back there, sat in your darkness and your cold. And as you get ready for the party, wouldn't you feel a sense of gratitude for every moment of light and warmth? And as your guests arrive, wouldn't your welcome be as warm as it could ever be? Wouldn't the Christmas lights shine a little bit brighter for you? The Christmas stuffing taste a little bit more rich to you? And the celebration feel that much more full, knowing that you have a neighbour, no, you have a friend, 
like that. Who loves you with a kind of give me your darkness and here take my light kind of love. That wouldn't just make your party. Wouldn't even just make your day. That would make your Christmas. You see, when Jesus uses the word ransom here, he's describing something along those kinds of lines. A payment that delivers freedom from an unpayable debt. But you might ask, what kind of debt requires not just a a direct debit, but a life? A life as payment? It seems that Jesus is saying here that the penalty for the misuse of the life God grants us is death. If you curve in on yourself away from the God who is light, what can you expect but darkness? If you curve in on yourself away from the God who is the source of all life, snapping that connection... What can be expected but death? That's a debt to God that none of us want to pay. But the meaning of Christmas is that God himself moved in across the street. That Jesus was was born to become our neighbor. The kind of neighbor that said, I'll take your place. I'll cover your debt. I'll be disconnected for you. I'll take your darkness for you. God said, I'll make myself breakable so that I can be broken for you. I just wish I could put it into words for us. You see, Jesus lived the perfect life of light that each one of us should live, yet he died in darkness. The death each one of us deserves to die. He did that for us. And like the father from the John Lewis story, Jesus fell and flopped, was mocked and misunderstood for us. And with broken bones and injuries for him that proved fatal, he thought we were worth it. He gave himself as a payment, a ransom for many. And God raised him up in death-defeating life for us. To give us the kind of future united to him that we could only hope for if we would receive it by faith. Jesus came to give up his life for his self-obsessed friends. James, John, me, you. And I hope you're beginning to see that that wouldn't just make your day That wouldn't just make your Christmas, that would make your life. To have a friend like that, a neighbor who loves you like that. 
He was born to give his life as a ransom. And finally, he was born to give us joyful freedom. Now, I don't know what state you've arrived in this afternoon. I don't know how this year has been for you. And you may actually still be thinking, well, what difference does all that make for me? And so as I come to a close, let me talk about joy and freedom. You see, Christians talk a lot about joy at Christmas. And I think a lot of us actually find it quite hard to accept that we are loved. But joy is what it feels like when we do. You see, the message of Christmas is, of course, first of all, that you are probably worse off than you think you are. If God had to show up for you. But if God has shown up for you, you are also more loved than you could ever comprehend. You see, if God has shown up for you, curved in on yourself as you are, he must love you from the top of your head to the tip of your toes. If God has shown up for you in your darkness, he must love you with a give me your death and here take my life kind of love. If God has shown up for you, knowing what it would cost him to love you, then you are not alone in the world he will provide for your every need you see what if december and every month after that could be colored by that perfect self-giving love of jesus wouldn't that change the way you see things wouldn't that inspire a kind of settled joy that the hardest things in life couldn't shatter? Wouldn't the Christmas lights shine a little bit brighter for you? The Christmas stuffing taste that little bit richer to you and your celebration, our celebration, feel that much more full knowing that we have a friend like that. No, a God like that. Now, although Jesus is inspiring, he's not just inspirational. And there are four words I just want to draw our attention to in the passage that represent the beginning of a revolution of freedom. Four words. Not so with you. Jesus essentially says, look around you. In this world of darkness, people are full to the brim of self. Not so with you. You're going to be a new kind of new community. You see, Jesus understood that his death and resurrection would achieve something spiritually significant. 
Those four words mean that Jesus' payment has bought for his new community freedom from self-obsession in order to serve our highest calling of loving God and loving others. Not perfect lives, but an actual new life. A new life of light and love reconnected to God. People now full to the brim of his spirit. God, the spirit, living in us. And that makes the world of difference. You see, just a little more than a week after Jesus uttered these four words, James and John watched as just as he predicted, Jesus was tortured, crucified and killed. Then a few days after that, they met Jesus, resurrected, and they began to tell everyone they knew that God had raised Jesus from the dead and is now building a new community, a new kind of new community. And the building continues. And historians of the early church agree that James and John went on to live lives of radical service, obsessed with Jesus. James was martyred. He was killed for inviting people into this new kind of new community and to find new life in Jesus. And John spent his life serving that new kind of new community, building the church, and even spent time in prison because of it. Selfless service. You see, these brothers went from a living demonstration of all that is wrong in the world to somehow being a living demonstration of what God has done about it. Meeting Jesus made a world of difference in the deepest parts of them. New life from the inside out. The Apostle Paul described it as God shining light into the heart. And actually that's been my story. I'm not perfect. Actually, I'm an absolute mess. But I know him. He has shone light and love into my heart and given me his spirit. And it's made the world of difference to me. And there are many around this room who can say the same thing. And so what about you? Those of us who have received his light, had our ransom paid and put our trust in him, well, maybe you need to hear again today that you are loved. God showed up for you. Maybe you need to accept that a little bit more completely this afternoon. And trust him more and more with more and more. Your freedom has been bought 
for a great price. So use your freedom to shine light in the dark. And oh, doesn't Rotherham and Broom, Aston Ma and Wath need light? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Ain't it good to have a God like Jesus? And that's worth celebrating. He is worth celebrating. And perhaps you're here today. And you're not quite there. You're not quite ready to celebrate Jesus in the way that I've described well, I'm really glad you're here and have heard what Jesus has said about himself. I'd encourage you to keep coming back and exploring. But I do want you to know that Jesus says to each one of us, don't you want a friend like me? A God like me? And that begs the, the question, what is stopping you from accepting his light and life even today. His debt covering love is extended to each one of us today. See, that's why we celebrate. God has shown up in the darkness as a friend. And I just wonder, is it really that hard to imagine how that kind of love would make the world of difference in your life? Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm kind of lost for words um, in response to your love. We sometimes live as if we have searched, understood it, completed it, grasped it in its totality. And then from time to time, perhaps moments like this, you remind us that your love for us goes deeper still, goes yet higher, stretches further, has gone beyond our expectations and hopes and even dreams. Father, for each one of us, would you open the eyes of our hearts this Christmas that we might understand the height, the depth, the breadth, and the width of your love for us in Jesus Christ. Would you help us do that over these coming weeks? Help us to use our freedom for good and as we 
come to grasp your love more and more. Fill us with joy. Make us have a kind of contagious joy. And we pray this in the name and because of your Son. Amen.